The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 15. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meaning deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today we're discussing The Next Generation uh, as an overview of the whole series. Uh, Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So uh, speaking of Father Corey, I wanted to to kind of take a moment just to quickly, uh, before we get into our topic, to kind of uh, promote... Uh, a show that Father Corey hosts. It's called uh, Let's Talk on the SQPN network, uh, this, our same network. And uh, it's a weekly show, sort of a, what, what is a community show, Father Corey? How would you describe Correct. it? Correct. Yeah, it's it's a show um, of talking about interests. You know, let's talk. Gee, we're going to talk in it. Uh, <laughs> talking about interests uh, to our SQPN community. Uh, so we, we've we've had quite a variety so far. We've we've only had you know a couple of months worth of episodes by the time you listen to this, um, and we've had everything from uh, talking about Catholic blockchain. We've had issues going on in the church. We've had you know we've had Dom and Jimmy on, and it was that was kind of a, a surreal <laughs> episode because I wasn't the panelist; I was the host, and <laughs> and of course we had to make comments about that. But that's yes. all right. Um, you know, so it, it very much is a wide ranging uh, podcast. It's really a podcast that we can use, like I said, talk about issues to bring people on. If there are things that we think would interest people, um, you know, hopefully we can get authors talk about their books. You know, we, we've got it's just a very general, general topic podcast. And that's it's something that I think that we've talked about that we've needed for with SQPN because it does give us the freedom to, to talk about issues that aren't specifically Star Trek or Dr. Who or this or that. Right. Or even movies and TV or that movie and TV. Yeah. And, and it features a lot of the, the SQPN community, which is, is a lot of the people that you hear on our various podcasts will, will be on this as well. And it, it's a successor, sort of a spiritual successor to Catholic weekend, which is a show Mm -hmm. we, we had before. Uh, but since, um, we don't actually the, the show doesn't actually land. It doesn't like release to the feed on a weekend anymore. Right. Uh, it, calling it Catholic weekends didn't seem to be the, the right thing to do. <laughs> uh, but even though we recorded on a on a Saturday, but uh, usually. So uh, in this case, so, so if you get a chance, give it a try. Take a listen to uh, go to uh, sqpn.com slash let's talk. No apostrophe. The, the apostrophes do not work well in uh, URLs. So mm. it's let's talk. L-E-T-S-D-A-L-K. Give, give it a try. Download an episode. Listen to one. Um, there are yeah. subscription links in those episodes on our website. And let us know what you think. If you if you have ideas for you know what yeah. you'd like to hear uh, us talk about on Let's Talk. You know, yeah, I, I got to make the pun. Let's talk about Let's Talk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about Star Trek now. 
Uh, we're talking uh, as as we've said before. We're we're we've rebooted the Secrets of Star Trek uh, podcast, and we're taking some time at the at the beginning of this reboot to talk about each of the series uh, to give our overview of of what we think of the series as a whole and some general ideas, especially behind the scenes of how the series came to be and that sort of thing. Um, and, and it's going to going to be a challenge for us this time because there's so much to talk about with next gen that we're going right. to we're going to have to discipline ourselves to keep it to keep it the episode within a reasonable yep. length. Yes, uh, I will. I will crack the host whip to, to really keep us <laughs> on target, uh, which is actually what, one behind the scenes thing. He actually has buttons on his desk in front of him and it's wired up to electric shockers in our chair. So if we talk too long, he zaps us. And the thing is, folks, they, they had to agree to do this. They, I, I didn't go to their their houses and put these shockers and they put them in themselves. Uh, no, just kidding. So anyway, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation is the current one we're talking about now and very topical because the news over the past month, is, if you've been paying attention to Star Trek news, is that uh, uh, Patrick Stewart, Jean-Luc Picard, the captain of the Enterprise in this series, is coming back to mm-hmm. re, re, re um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, reprise. Reprise. Thank you. Thank <laughs> uh, Reprise his role as a uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard uh, in a new series that'll be on the uh, CBS All Access streaming service. Um, The last time we saw him as Picard was in 2003, Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, So it's been a long time, 15 years. It's hard to imagine Mm -hmm. it's been that long. Uh, well, he's 75, I think. Patrick Stewart is 75. Yeah, it's, it's hard amazing. To believe. I mean, he looks great for 75. Although, to be honest, when he was 50, he looked 75. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it's because he's been bald for so long. You know, he, he I mean, I'm, he was bald in the 1970s when he was playing Aelius Sejanus on iClaudius. Yeah, I'm just trying to think mm-hmm. now. In 1986, when this, uh, or 87, when this aired, first aired, uh, he would have been 55, 55, 54, 50. Well, if, no, that's yeah, 54. That's no, that's 30 years ago. 30 years ago. 44. F- well, no. F- so if he's 75 now, 30. Yeah. 45. 40, yeah. I'm wow. older than he was as Captain Picard. That <laughs> He seemed older than 45 when he, he began playing Captain Picard. <laughs> but that's like the first doctor of Doctor Who, who also seemed older than his 50-something uh, years uh, at the time. So uh, TV, TV is uh, strange like that. Anyway, let's you know, enough about us. Let's talk about this series. It aired from ni- 1987 to 1994, and it was seven seasons, and it was the, the first revival of Star Trek as a live action series. At this point, what we'd had was the original series in the 60s, the animated series for basically about a year in the in the early 70s. And yeah. then we had yeah, and then we had um the movies. We had uh the motion picture in 79, we had uh, uh Wrath of Khan in 82, uh we had um uh, Search for Spock in mm-hmm. 84. Four, I think it was, and then we yep. had uh, Voyage Home, <laughs> the Search for Whales in '86, <laughs> and so yep. from, and then then we had this, and this was a big deal at the time um, when when and it, it came and up, it, and it was very risky. It's it's it, we look back in hindsight, and it was a big success, but at the time, it was not looked favorably on by a big chunk of Star Trek fandom because. All we had known in the Star Trek universe to that point was the original crew. Yes. And it's like, wait, you're going to do Star Trek and it's not going to have Kirk? It's not going to have Spock? 
What are you exactly. talking about? This isn't going to be Star Trek. It's right? not going to be the Enterprise. Why Why would we watch this? And of course, right. the Enterprise being the original NCC-1701 without a letter at the end. No bloody, no bloody A, A, no bloody B. B. Yeah. <laughs> One of the greatest lines. Um, and and that, that was a huge deal. And so we had and then there was some controversy over the well, there was some risk. That's I will go into controversy later, but there was some risk over the fact that this was not going to be on network TV. Like TV right. in fact, this was the really the first big direct to syndication straight to syndication TV show that really yeah. kind of proved the model that that mm-hmm. is in a way is sort of like what we have now with streaming stuff. Uh Star Trek sort of you know, led the way in this. Um, it was supposed to originally go to Fox, which was brand new at the time, but Fox wouldn't commit to more than a handful of episodes for for a first season, and that's not what Paramount wanted to do. And so they, they couldn't make it work financially with so few episodes. Exactly, and so uh, so because they'd had so much success with syndication to that point of the original series, and because there was a guy at um, I think it was at Paramount, a Paramount exec, who. Uh, Mel Harris, yeah, Paramount Television. Mel Harris uh, was the president of Paramount Television, and he was a pioneer in the syndicated TV market. And he so so he said, "Let's just go for it. Let's just yeah. go go to syndication." So, so this is kind of an industry term that not everybody listening may be familiar with. What syndication is is when instead of having a show that um, is airing just on one television network like ABC or Fox or Netflix or whatever you want. Um, There were these terrestrial television stations all around the country back in the day. Mm -hmm. And um, you could sell things just to them, regardless of what network they were on. And typically this was done with shows that were in reruns. So if like you Mm -hmm. had a successful show um, it, that got at least 65 episodes and thus enough to fill 13 weeks or one quarter of the year in five days a week stripping, then you could take that show and sell it to those local stations. And they'd air it not during prime time when they were mm-hmm. airing their network shows, but at other times. And that's how the original Star Trek got popular in the 70s was when it started when it was off right. NBC and not in prime time, but it was showing on all these local stations. And so for the new generation of Star Trek, they said, let's just go straight to that stage mm-hmm. where we're selling to local stations with no network backing us. Right. You know, and, and so it would end up that you would watch these series on different networks, depending on where you were at. You know, for example, when DS9 was airing, we I would watch it on the NBC network, the network affiliate in my area. But like Jimmy might have watched it on CBS and Dom might have watched it on Fox. Or Actually, something yeah, like that. or one of the independent channels, the independent yeah. UHF channels here in the Boston market. Uh, and it a could be at different, different times a day on different days of the week. Yeah, yep. yeah, there wasn't that unified viewing experience. You know, we also didn't have the Internet to kind of be a spoiler problem, which is if, mm-hmm. if you're watching it on the new episode on Wednesday and I don't get it till Friday. I mean, today, that's an issue uh, with international, like something dropping in the UK before it shows up in in the U.S. Uh, But back then, it wasn't, of course, without the Internet. It's it's harder to to end up that way. But but yeah, it was different days of the week and and, um, different times. And sometimes it would move from season to, you know, from one one time to the next. And um, 
it can be difficult for a fan to find the, the show. Well, big time and for you it. know, in, in smaller markets didn't pick up next gen at all. Right. Um, we didn't have, you know, I lived when I, when next gen was airing, we were living at least for most of the time it was airing, living in Williston, North Dakota or the Williston, North Dakota market. You know, what part of, part of Montana I lived in, all our TV stations came from Williston and we didn't have next gen. We didn't get Star mm. Trek syndication wow. until DS nine. Wow. So the only time I could watch next gen is when we would go say, go visit relatives or friends in another town in another market that had it, mm. you know, so I didn't watch a lot of it growing up. I watched some of it. You know, I remember a few episodes, but not a lot. So you've what, seen it. You've seen more of it now. Well, I've, I've watched the entire series a couple of times now since. Yeah. And now the entire Netflix series. And yeah. It's all on Netflix, Netflix and, and Amazon. Amazon. And, yeah. And it's all been uh, remastered on uh, DVD. That's it. That's a, mm-hmm. a big element. The original series and uh, Next Gen have all been remastered. Uh, and there's some talk of remastering DS9, which would be nice. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be. You could use it. Uh, so... Uh, one of the one of the issues that came up uh, when like talking about how they were setting this, you know, it was kind of controversial with the fans or risky to put it, to put it another way is, again, it was 100 years after the original series. They really they jumped yeah. forward in time 100 years. Well, it was the next century, but it was like 80 years later. It was originally going to be 80 years. But then they said some things in the in, in some of the uh, first season that pushed it even later. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So the some of the original uh, mm-hmm. promotional material was like 80 years. Uh and and to to kind of help with this transition, they had a a cameo appearance in the very first episode to kind of hand off the baton from the original series to right. uh, Next Gen. They had DeForest Kelly uh at reprising his role as uh, Dr. McCoy uh at it was supposed to be like, like 120, 120, 120 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Admiral McCoy. Uh, they had him as, uh, you know, seeing the enterprise, the new enterprise uh, heading out on its uh, new mission. Uh, so that was that was a nice little uh, nod that they did there. Though but he wasn't the was... only member of the original crew to come aboard the enter- the new enterprise, Enterprise D. Well, eventually, but he was for yeah, a eventually. long time because yeah. they they really and and this was something the writers complained about. They but a mandate came down from the producers that they were not to reference stuff from the original series. That they mm-hmm. they wanted to be their own thing. They wanted to prove themselves. We are not going to have cameos from original series actors after McCoy. We're not going to revisit planets. We're not going to revisit right. plot and then, stuff. And then broke the rule in the <clears throat> second episode. Well, yeah, and, <laughs> and, which is a ripoff of of a first season episode. The Naked yeah. Time became the Naked Now. Yes, uh, and eventually these dicta fell away and opened up new storytelling possibilities. But in the beginning, they were very strict about it. Yes, yes. I mean the 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 bringing Spock into the later seasons of next gen was was uh, brilliant because the story it wasn't just um uh, a gimmick it really mm-hmm. it really was good storytelling i mean right. a good reason to bring him in um, and it also promoted the release of star trek 6 <laughs> exactly <laughs> so uh well, and they also has a Scotty too yeah right. that, that, that's i i that was one of my, one of my favorite episodes just because it's so fun yeah scotty and, and data and i love scotty just who doesn't oh, yeah. scotty or Everybody scotty knows. and jordy Yes. And of course, they brought back the the green. It's green. <laughs> yeah. What is it? I don't know. It's green. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So um, some of the other controversial elements are the design work, the uh, the production design. Um, yeah, the Big uniforms. Flying space hotel. Well, yes. Yeah, so with, the with pajamas. Yes. So mm-hmm. you have this big sort of. It, we've gone from the uh, very angular uh, looking enterprise, which had which looked like a like reminiscent of some of the um, designs for jet fighters of the sixties. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, now we've got this much more organic looking enterprise with instead of angular, it's very curved right. and soft. And people people weren't. I'll, okay, I'll just say it. I was not thrilled with that design. I was I w- I didn't lo- I didn't love it at first. Uh, you know, they, they the, even have wood paneling on the bridge right out yeah. there in full view. Right. Yeah. The, the 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 I would argue that the the Galaxy class design is still considered controversial. Yeah. You know, 30 years after the series aired, I think there there are still fans who think it was a bad idea. Well, I think even the designers kind of saw that as it was it wasn't a, the best because Subsequent Starship designs have all kind of gone back to the right. the, the stuff we saw well, not in the original then, series but in the movies. Well, and then yeah. and then the, then the size of the ship itself just exploded. I think you know the original Enterprise was something like four hundred four hundred thirty crew. And sorry, sorry. now next, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 this is two and a half times that. Yeah, now it's and, over a thousand. They say it over a thousand people, and that's people. That's not just crew. That's right. kids. That's spouses. That's and, you know, and that's part of the problem. It's not just the ship. The ship looks like a luxury liner, and mm-hmm. you know, like this is a cruise ship or something. And and you've got this all these families on it that makes absolutely zero sense. You know, well, given the amount of danger this ship gets into, having families aboard is crazy. Well, it, it, there, I wouldn't say zero sense. It's it, like I don't think I'd bring my family, but there is some connection to this historically. I mean, in the in the age mm-hmm. of sail, you often had, especially in civilian ships, you 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 quite often had captains bringing their families on these long multi year expeditions. That that were dangerous. I mean, they're much more dangerous than leaving them right. at home. Um, so it's not unprecedented. And I can see the ideas of you know when you're sending these ships out on multi-year exploratory journeys, asking people to to leave their families behind for years at a time. You might be able to get more volunteers if they can bring their family along. Right. But yeah, I get what not, you're saying. It's it's extremely not, dangerous. Not with fifty-two existential crises a year. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, how know, many times it, in one season does Picard threaten to blow up the Enterprise? Well, wouldn't that exactly. doesn't that like that should change the storyline, but it doesn't often enough, in my opinion. But that calculus of do I do a self-destruct right now when it's just, you know, all the members of the Starfleet on board. We all took an oath. We know what we're worried we got into. Mm-hmm. But now it's I need to do a self-destruct. Oh, and by the way, you know, there's uh, 200 kids on the ship. That's a whole right. different sort of calculus that the captain well, should be it, making, but never does. And it, it really showed what they tried to do with the series as far as who Starfleet was. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. Right. You know, that Starfleet went from being a, a military, militaristic type organization to a peacekeepers more than anything else and explorers well, and all that. I mean, they were explorers already, but they they tried to really downplay the military, albeit yeah. on a super battleship with heavily armed <laughs> right. you know, to the teeth you still gonna have conflict to, yeah. to make it interesting well that yeah. was well go ahead and and this was part of the problem with the really with star trek 
in general, but especially with the early seasons of Next Gen, is Gene Roddenberry had a vision for the series that was problematic from a storytelling perspective. He wanted to say he had this he wanted to portray this secular humanist utopia in the 24th century where, you know, little kids accept the deaths of their parents because it's just death is just a part of life and no little kid is going to grieve over the death of his mom on an away mission. I mean, that was a huge behind the scenes fight in one episode that Ronald Moore wrote. Right. Um and um uh, and so you have this uh, this idealized society where Roddenberry said, essentially, there can be no conflict between our main cast characters. Ever, all the humans in the Federation are perfected people. So the only drama can come from the guest stars every right. week. And 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 Starfleet is are a bunch of explorers. They're not military um, and it's like none of this corresponds to the original series. I mean, I look at the way Spock and McCoy go at each other. That's they, half the fun. Exactly. And and they're clearly they've got naval ranks. They've got weapons. They're clearly fighting a Cold War with the Klingons. I mean, yeah. this is a military organization. Well, and it, and it led to that. That one episode where they find the people that were in, the 20th in stasis century. for the yeah. 20th century. And he, the guys, oh, I, I bet all my stocks are worth, you know, way more money than I could ever count. And then there's Picard. Well, we don't have money anymore. And we're all in peace. And everybody just shares. And we all sing Kumbaya. Oh, he didn't say that, but it sure feels like it. So there was a communist takeover in the 22nd century. And uh... yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and life was perfect. Yeah, the, and and the interesting thing is how they've tried to walk that back, in, you know, in the rest yeah. of Star Trek, and yeah. especially for example in Deep Space Nine, they really mm -hmm. walked that back a long well, way. I, I think they even walked it back in later seasons, seasons. of Next Gen. Yeah, once yeah. you know, once, once Gene Roderay passed, and yeah. and like Ronald D. Moore and others kind of took over things they kind of pulled that back and yeah. you showed that that society wasn't a flawless, perfect utopia. Right. Yeah. They still had the writers like Moore still were chafing under a lot of restrictions, but they were able to get it, get it walked partly back during next gen. And that's one of the reasons the series improved. Mm -hmm. Right. So that some of the, the uh, I'm trying to think of the producers were uh, like Brandon Braga was a, a writer. Mm -hmm. um, Rick Berman, Michael Piller. Yeah, so the, those were some of the names, and but yeah, and late, like late, later seasons, we get you know conspiracies at Starfleet, and you know, and, and other things come up where we're no longer in the Utopia, and we're, and we're, you know, we're 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 back to really kind of where we were in original series time span. Um, so one of the things that that was difficult was early on, it just wasn't that good. And in fact, yeah. the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation is where I had developed my personal. The next generation rule of TV watching, which is mm -hmm. if I have a TV show, a TV series that I, that's highly anticipated for me, mm -hmm. um, if I start watching it and it's not good, I will give it six episodes. And after, mm. if it's still bad after six episodes, I drop it. Uh, and th this is right. six episodes of a full 26 episode season. So uh, change your ratios accordingly to Netflix 13 episode seasons or whatever. Okay. But yeah. this came into effect, for example, like with uh, the TV show Fringe, where the first handful of episodes were just not that good. And I and I stopped watching. And then I came back later because people said, no, no, you really got to keep watching. 
I kept watching. It got really good. But the, yeah. Next Gen I, had I, this problem. I, I have a similar rule of I, I don't expect a show to be firing on all cylinders in its first season. That it right. really takes at least a season for it to gel, typically, if it's an ongoing multi-season thing. Um, because the writers are trying to figure out what to do and mm -hmm. how the characters mesh during that time. Um, I, the, incidentally, the, the fact that, and really the second season is pretty bad too. It doesn't really start to become halfway decent until season three or season four is when it really yep. kicks into high gear. Right. But, um, this actually led to the naming of a trope, uh, in, if you go to TV tropes, uh, which is a site that catalogs the different recurring themes that we see on TV shows. You probably heard the phrase jump the shark, right. which is the when a show has reached a point that it's just going to be downhill from here. Um, well, that's based on an it, episode of Happy Days yeah. where Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, literally, who's this biker guy, literally water skis and jumps over a shark. Right. And yeah. and it's like Happy Days, which is a series set in the 50s, is never going to be good again. It's all downhill from here after he jumps the yeah. shark. The implication Start of, of, of the is that because the show is downhill, they're resorting to gimmicks and tricks to yep. kind of yeah. create. Yeah. So so the opposite of jumping a shark is where a show starts to get good. And Next Generation gave a name to that trope. It's growing the beard. <laughs> because oh, yes. Riker has no beard in the first season, but then he gets one, and that's when the show starts to pick up. And so, uh, so growing the beard is when a show starts to get good. <laughs> and so, some fans uh, and, and critics and others uh, they they point the the real turning point for um, Next Gen. The they kind of divided in, in, into the before and after these two episodes. Uh, which is the first and second part of or the, or the season finale of season three and the premiere of season four. It's a two-part uh, cliffhanger, the best of both worlds, where mm -hmm. where Picard is uh, is assimilated by the Borg. Uh, and it's as good as anything they've ever done on screen. This could have, yes. I mean, on the big screen, this could have been a motion picture if they had oh, thought of it in those terms. Yes. And frankly, it would be better than some of the next-gen motion pictures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and yes, I mean, the, so... And and a lot of people will will say you know everything you know there are good episodes before that and there are yes. clunkers after that but the real there's a real sea change in in quality from from one to the other but you're right like for me <clears throat> this first six episodes of season one are all ugh, they're not good the then no. <laughs> you get to um, the the end of season one to season two and things are improving I mean they really are there are a couple of decent episodes in season one. Uh, Angel One is not one of them. Uh, just let me no. say that right off the bat. Uh, <laughs> I just happened to see the, that li that listed, and I kind of shuddered because it was so bad. Uh, but um, but the, also the big goodbye was in season one, and I like that one. That's a, that's that that's a really good one. I like that one. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the one where we get we get the first of Picard uh, enjoying the hollow novel Dixon Hill Dixon Hall Hill novel. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but so as the seasons went on, things got better. Um, and and then I think that turning I, I agree I think that the real turning point is after uh, best of both worlds. You know it, what's amazing about that is they did not know they did not have 
episode two of Best of Both Worlds plotted when they aired episode one. They did mm-hmm. not know what was going to happen on the other side of that cliffhanger. Um, and maybe the, that's what made it so good. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, 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 one of the reasons they didn't know is because they weren't sure if Patrick Stewart was going to return to the series as Captain mm-hmm. Picard. And so that would have been his out if the actor had said, I'm not coming back. He would have just been a member of the Borg and gotten blown up yep. um, or something. And uh, and then they had to write themselves out of the box they put themselves in. And for once it worked. They had a convincing, you know, reasonable, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, convincing may be the wrong word, but a, an acceptable, reasonable, reasonable <laughs> way of getting out of the box they'd uh, gotten themselves into. Uh, by the way, Patrick Stewart is 78. Um, 78, yeah. So okay. in 1986, he would have been 46. Yeah. 46, okay. Yeah, but still younger than I am now. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm obsessing <laughs> over this now. But so the um, one, so let's talk about some of the other aspects of the of Next Gen that were sort of unique, that were new, uh, that kind of struck people at the time. Uh, we had uh, an Android character in Data. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's clear, and we mentioned this on a previous episode, but it's clear how they took the elements of the characters that were successful on the first show and tried to remix them. So it would be familiar, but different. So they took the right. Mr. Spock character, who was alien and smart, and they split him in two and called him Data and Worf. Right. So right. Worf's the alien part, Data's the smart part. Um they took Captain Kirk, who was the leader and the action man, and they split him in two and called him Picard and Riker. Picard's yep. the leader, Riker's the action man. Um, they took uh, Dr. McCoy, who is the compassionate doctor, compassionate physician, and mm-hmm. split him in two and made him Crusher and Troy. Um, yep. So you had uh, these kind of remixing of elements that were largely successful. You had a misstep in season two where they, because they had, some of the producers didn't like Gates McFadden's character as, uh, or portrayal of Beverly Crusher. They decided to get rid of her and bring in Diana Muldar as Catherine Pulaski. And they tried to go hardcore McCoy with her, where she was going to have this sarcastic relationship with Data, the way McCoy had a sarcastic relationship with Spock, only it totally didn't work. She didn't have the charm of Dr. Mm-hmm. McCoy and couldn't get away with it. It just came, came across, across as, as cruel. Abuse. Yeah, yeah and Data, cruel. Data didn't have the presence of Spock. He, Data was he could childlike. Fight back. Yeah. And, he, he's child- and so it felt like she was a bully to Data. People hated mm-hmm. her. And people have compared it to child to emotional child abuse because yeah. it's not a competition of, of emotional equals like Spock and McCoy. Right. They're not just having friendly banter. Yes. Uh, just like her insistence that he wasn't real and kept calling him it and that sort of thing really rubbed people the wrong way. And, and so they had to – I liked Diana Muldor as an actress. She's she's really mm-hmm. – she's good at it. Uh, there were yeah. a couple of good episodes in that whole season. Um, yeah. there, was, there was some good stuff. But, yeah, that it was a misstep to – and when they brought – uh, Dr. Crusher back, which I don't think they even really said anything about it. They just kind of season three began, and there's Dr. Crusher. Uh, I, I thought they, they kind of had, had waved it away that she got an assignment at Starfleet, Starfleet Command. And, okay, and, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then, so Dr. Crusher came back, and 
and from that point on, it was a much better character. All right, although there, uh, she had a couple of clunker episodes. Um, well, everyone did. Uh, yeah. Sub Rosa is one of the worst episodes <laughs> of all time. That's exactly <laughs> the one I was thinking of. <laughs> so um, another sort of misstep that they corrected pretty quickly was Tasha Yar. Um, mm-hmm. she, yeah, because she didn't fit into the, that that ensemble that you just listed. You know, Jordy, you, you know, you didn't mention Jordy was sort of a combination of uh, Sulu and Scotty in the, in some ways, um, and so he kind of embodied that. But Tasha didn't fit into any of that. She she's a security chief, but really, Worf is the heavy, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and so there was he's the natural security chief. And and right. I, I, what they were trying to do with Tasha Yar was say, okay, a woman can be a tough security chief. Mm-hmm. She comes from this horrible, you know, hellhole planet with rape gangs and stuff like that. She's had this hard scrabble existence and has become very tough and is a plausible security chief. And then they didn't give her anything to do. Right. And and the actress Denise Crosby would complain about, I I'm having to show up for 15 hour days standing behind this console doing absolutely nothing just standing here can you make a photo printout of my legs and just prop <laughs> it here so right. that people yeah. can see see my legs standing there through this console well and at best in the again like i would bring up the second episode naked now they tried they i think they completely uh, undermined the character by having her you know uh, uh, granted under the alien influence but she seduces data and, and yep. this whole awkward sexual yeah. element that that comes in in there, it, like, and it just it became awkward at that point. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, like so she just and she became so, somewhat superfluous to where they and then they and then they give her the worst death ever, a meaningless death, yes, meaningless. So they even yeah. say it in a when they finally bring her back and redeem her death, right? Um, that her original death was meaningless. It was just horribly written. Yeah, I mean that was. Oh, that was actually that was mostly near the end of the first season, I guess. I yeah. I thought it was earlier, but yeah, it's uh, episode twenty three, Skin of Evil, and I, I think what they were trying to go for with that one was, you know, death. You know, evil in the world is sometimes just gratuitous. Sometimes just bad things happen, and yeah. it just this one happened to Tasha, and that's a reasonable thing to make. <clears throat> uh, that's a reasonable thing to do, where you have a character unexpectedly killed off in a sudden way. But you have to set it up and you have to pay it off afterwards. Right. And they didn't do either one of those. If you want an example of that, spoiler warning, in The Shining, the movie, the original movie, the Scatman Crothers character dies very unexpectedly. But it's also a very effective death because mm-hmm. they've set it up and built it up so that when you're surprised by his death, it has major dramatic impact for the other characters in the show or in the movie. Tasha Yar's death is is just nothing. And she's killed in right. a random act by an oil slick. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a little bit of data, you know, the people mourning and data sort of um, mourning a little bit at the end. But like after that, we, we move on. We're, we're moving yeah. on to next week and we've yeah. got the next episode. I mean, it comes up again a few times later. Uh I, I would argue they do redeem her character in Yesterday's yeah. Enterprise. Right. They totally redeem the character in Yesterday's Enterprise, and then they ruin it again by introducing her as her half-Romulan daughter. Yeah. 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 That was uh, – yes, exactly. Uh, so that, she's a ruined, a saved, and a ruined character. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Denise Crosby. 
No so kidding. another um, another character that was not well loved, uh, but but in a way has become sort of uh, loved by the mm. fans because of the actor off is screen. they love off screen yeah. is uh, we love to hate Wesley Crusher, but yeah. but people do love Will Wheaton the actor now, which is yeah. which is good. Uh, uh, some people do. Some people do. Yes. <laughs> well, Will Call as an adult among is, not his fans. Okay. Let's just put it that way. Will, as an or, adult, has become somewhat caustic and uh, devil may care about whether people. And he's, like he's him not or. a and he's not a bad actor. You know, I've seen no. him like in U- uh, Eureka and other other shows. Big and Bang Theory. He is a good good actor. Yeah, he's just kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, he can yeah. be. But but it's common in Hollywood. Yeah, because yeah. like he's like I don't care what you think of me. It's sort of his 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 way. Well, and that would be a natural defensive reaction if you have if you played one of the most hated characters in fandom and you're a fan. Yeah, mm-hmm. just for self protection, you kind of need to say, you know, I've got to emotionally detach from this. Right, right. So it was kind of funny that there uh, was a comment from. Patrick Stewart, when they announced his work that he's doing, the new show that's going to be coming up as as, uh, as Picard, and he said, well, "I want to make this joke, but you know, it's not worth doing. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's run its course." He was going to make a joke about Wesley coming back about about the shut up Wesley. Oh, shut up Wesley, right? Uh, and that, well, and that's the thing. And so at one point, that's a famous line that that Picard utters at uh, poor little Wesley Crusher. Shut up, and Wesley. his mom. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, again, a controversial character. He was sort of a, an audience or fan uh, stand-in. He was the... Uh, he was specifically a Gene Wesley Roddenberry stand-in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he was annoying because of it. In the and sense of... Mary Sue. Yeah. And that's 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 a danger with some of these these characters when they become writer or producer favorites they they kind of get blind to the fact that, you know, not always do the fans like those same characters. Uh, Wesley, as we have said before, is the Adric of Star Trek. The yeah, next exactly. generation. Adric being a, pre- a precursor uh, in Doctor Who of a, a child who is a Young genius. Young prodigy. Who yeah. shows up the adults uh, too, once too often. Uh, and that's that was one of the complaints was that Wesley too often, because he's a genius, Stumble, you know, we have a, a ship full of, let's say, 800 of these Starfleet's best on the flagship who can't come up with a solution that the prodigy kid comes up with, you know, and, and exactly. it's just too often. Yeah. Um, and so they, they, they removed him after, uh, what's, what episode was Four that? seasons? Season four, I think. Okay. Um, and and he, what, it was by yeah. his own choice because he had been given, he wasn't pleased with what, what had been happening with his character. And they hadn't been giving him a lot to do because they didn't know what to do with him. It was just juvenile mm-hmm. wish fulfillment. <clears throat> and, and you know, the writers weren't coming up with a lot of great ideas for his character and he wasn't being used much. And so he wanted to move on. Yeah, he kind of he kind of became the uh, the stock helmsman you know, the guy who always saw sitting right. at the helm. Yeah, it was essentially the same yeah. thing as what happened to Denise Crosby. It just took longer. Mm-hmm. Right. At one point, he gets promoted. He's not just the you know the kid who wants to hang out on the bridge, uh, but he gets he gets Acting like a, he gets an yeah a field promotion sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But instead of sending him to Starfleet Academy, which which is the lot which was actually a storyline of him trying you know trying out preparing for Starfleet Academy, they end up having him sort of becoming some super being and going off to. Yeah, oh, I know another <laughs> ruined character where he's like this space hippie and and his mom literally tells him to 
keep bundled up on these extra dimensional planes he's going to be visiting. Or... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really uh, awkward. But they do they do eventually get him to the academy. They well, do. yeah, but that's before he becomes a space hippie, right? Right. He go he goes to the academy. He's gone from the sh the show for a while, and then comes back in order to be turned into a space yeah. hippie. Yep. And they, they actually have an episode set at the Academy where he basically severely harms his Academy career. Right. And mm -hmm. that's actually a good episode. Um, yes. Featuring um, Robert Duncan uh, McNeil, who McNeil. La later pl plays Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager. The yep. interesting thing is in that episode, well, I mean, we're, we're going to He's talk also about playing a bad boy. Well, in that <laughs> episode, uh, well, the character of Tom Paris was originally supposed to be that character. Yeah. Uh, well mm -hmm. into development of Star Trek Voyager, so that was a that yeah. was a good episode. It was a good Wesley because he was he had a he had a serious moral and ethical conundrum right. uh, that he had to deal with, and that was that was mm -hmm. a good episode. And and I think it would have been great to have you know uh, the Tom Paris character be this guy, this hot shot pilot who had the shady past at Starfleet mm -hmm. Academy, and that would have made him much more interesting. <clears throat> and you know, speaking of Starfleet Academy, that's you know, there's one of the things that's happening right now is, is any any franchise property out there in Hollywood is getting the the, the cinematic universe treatment like Marvel and, and whatnot. Yep. And so they're, they're mining Star Trek for all it can be worth. And one of the series that they're seriously talking about is a Starfleet Academy series, which could be good or really awful. Which yeah. <laughs> so, so far what, what little has been leaked about it. It sounds like, you know, Beverly Hills, 90210 yes. in Starfleet. Yes. Yeah. That, and that would be bad. Yeah, they've actually been talking about that since since the time of just after the original series. There was uh, there were talking about doing a Starfleet Academy thing. Right. The closest we've come to it is the first J.J. Abrams movie. Yes, which but uh, we haven't had a series set in Starfleet Academy. When when we do the episode on that movie, I'm going to be like. I have so oh, much lock, to say. Lock and load. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I mean, there are elements of that of that movie that I really like there, but there are things that just drive me up the wall. Mm -hmm. That's I forget, for another show. I, for, I forget which one of the DS9 writers it was, um, but one of them characterized uh, the plot of the, or, or a central aspect of the plot of the first J.J. Abrams movie as if Kirk, you know, who whose father is a famous captain. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's as if someone showed up and said, Hey, my last name is Halsey. Let's, let me take over the Nimitz. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everyone just kind of goes along with that. Okay. Well, and, and I'm still a cadet, by the way. Yeah. From, yeah. Make me a captain. Uh, anyway, the, the, that's some, uh, some previews of future episodes, folks. Uh, <laughs> so something else that was sort of groundbreaking, we mentioned already was a Klingon crew member. And up to this yeah. point, the Klingons were the enemy. Uh, yep. The Klingons killed Spock, you know, and, and you know, that sort of thing. Uh, well, not the Klingons, but uh, mm. but uh, they killed Kirk's son. They killed Kirk's son. That's what it is. I got it's the search for Spock was Kirk's son dying. Yep. But, you know, the Klingons were bad guys. Uh, but in the, but by this time, the Kittimer Accords and the, the Klingons and the Federation were now allies. And we have in, a Klingon in, in, crew in, member. In fact, in the they forget about this later on, but in the early episodes of Next Gen, they actually say that the Klingon Empire has become part of the Federation, right? And they later walk that back, but mm -hmm. that's yes. but it, I think it was a I think that was a good dramatic choice. What they then should have done was introduce the Romulans as the new heavies way quicker than they did. 
Right. Well, the problem and they is, had a yeah. had a hideous misstep with the Ferengis, who oh. were meant to be the new Klingons, <laughs> and were totally laughable. Well, like the whole the whole build up in that in the pilot episode, they counter at Farpoint to these the don't don't cross the Ferengi. Watch out for the they're the bad. You get these big eared weirdos hopping around with. I mean, just like. They're sucking clowns. on their teeth. Oh my gosh, yeah. it was it's just such a bad idea. The only good Ferengi we encountered ever in Star Trek was when we finally got to Deep Space Nine and we had Quark, who finally was an interesting well, character. Yeah, well, the trio, Quark and his family, because Rom yeah. is, yep. a, is a great character, Nog right. is a great character. But yeah, it was, yeah. and this was another example of something that the original series, Next Gen, ruined that then got redeemed. You introduced these comic villains. Okay, let's make them comic villains. You know, they're <laughs> right. yeah, and they can work as comic relief that are slightly shady. And any of the DS Nine episodes with the Frankie are, are a lot of fun. There are some of my favorite episodes. Oh are, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Wallace, Wallace Shawn, yeah, exactly. Oh, so yeah. great. Uh, but but that, this was a problem that's th that Next Gen encountered several times, and in fact, other series uh, after it also encountered, which is we introduced the new big bad enemy, and mm -hmm. then we. We see them so often, we defeat them so often that after a while, they're not such a big bad enemy anymore. Now we have to well, have an even bigger bad enemy. Well, and that's that's the danger in any science fiction action type series. You know, we've talked about Doctor Who with the Daleks, where they are the most evil yeah. beings in the universe and, and destroy and everyone. And the Master and the Cybermen. It's just and we've seen them keep... so often. You know, it's just like yeah, they're not really that big and bad. The Doctor just waves a sonic screwdriver and they go away. Right. You know? <laughs> So same kind of thing. I mean, it's it's a, a risk with episodic television where you have to have the big bad guy that they're going to conquer every once in a while. Yeah, and this becomes a problem with Star Trek for the Borg by the time of Voyager. Mm -hmm. Right, right. By then, I mean, we they they have the the Borg Queen, which came from the movies. Um, but yeah, that was became an issue. That the, actually the the the, the Worf character continued the Spock idea in several ways, which is a character torn between two cultures, between human right. culture and uh, Klingon culture. We got that again in Voyager when they introduced Seven of Nine. Torn between and Bellana Torres. And, right, and Bellana. Uh, so that, you know, that idea of torn between an alien and a human culture. Um, Spock. Seems so, somewhat, yeah, seems somewhat successful uh, in um an element and right on to discovery where we have Michael Burnham, who is a human raised by Vulcans, literally raised by Spock's family. She's another Spock. Mm -hmm. um, it's just seems to be something that's a common element of Star Trek and, uh, you know, recognizable now, but we, we've got that. Um, another, but another uh, member of the crew is also torn between um, a human culture and uh, alien, which is Council of Troy, who is mm -hmm. half Betazoid, a new species. Yeah, and she, and she is also she reflects an aspect of Spock too because she's a half breed. Yes, yep. uh, and controversial because again in the early season, <sighs> the first season she just seemed to cry a lot and say, "Oh, I she feel. Would, she would be overwhelmingly moved by the emotion of the person that she's connected to." <laughs> yeah. So she would yes. have this. She'd be crying one minute, next minute she would just be beaming in absolute ecstasy <laughs> and just like. Uh, get her <laughs> off of this TV. <laughs> yeah, next to Deanna Troy and Wesley Crusher, she's the least successful Tasha of the Yar. characters. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, next to Tasha Yar and Wesley Crusher, 
Deanna Troy is the least successful of the original cast characters. Um, One of the problems, so they, as a Betazoid, now her species is apparently highly telepathic, much Mm -hmm. more so than the Vulcans. But because she is half human, she's only empathic with most people. She can Mm -hmm. be telepathic with her mom and maybe Riker, but, but in general, she's only empathic, which then makes her, the way they framed her empathy, she can detect lying. As if lying is an emotion. Right. <laughs> lying is not an emotion. What she should be saying is, Captain, I see, I sense considerable tension on this person's part. I don't know if it's because he's lying or just because he's nervous. She's, if they had framed it that way, then you wouldn't have to have her mysteriously off the bridge or in a coma whenever you need to know if someone is lying. Well, yeah. n- not just that, but it also assumes that every alien species emotions are exactly the same mm-hmm. like yeah. that you would be able to, to, to sense the same emotion in, in an al- in any alien that you encounter including some truly non-anthropomorphic aliens some truly right. alien aliens well encounter from farpoint they're basically giant space uh jellyfish, jellyfish. Just, right yeah. right exactly uh and it, right it's from the beginning it, it's it's not a it's it, it's not a great way to start the character and again like a lot of the others they eventually find ways to make troy mm-hmm. work Better as part of the crew. Introducing her mom, Majel Barrett, playing oh. Swana Troy. Oh, I, actually, I, I view that as a misstep. I kind of eventually grew to tolerate Waxana Troy, but they redeem I, her. But wow, as her I, I admit, her chasing after Picard. I enjoyed her chasing after Picard. I, I liked I, I Picard's kick out uncomfortableness about about her. Just uh, that relationship between the two of them. That that's what I like the most. I well, think. and again, and like a lot of these things, once we did bring that character to Deep Space Nine. Then some some actually very interesting character moments develop. Yeah, absolutely. And Between her and Odo, and yeah. yeah, there's there's also that dark page episode where we learn that Loxana had a previous daughter that Deanna barely remembers who died. And yes, it was a very mm. traumatic, and that was that was a good dark psychology episode. Right. Um, so they could do good stories with her, but overall, I wasn't I was very uncomfortable with Loxana. Um, w- one thing, by the way, notice. You know, in this is the 24th century, so everyone is perfect now, right. and there's no character conflict, and 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 they're so perfect that they have to have a professional psychologist as the ship's counselor, yeah. as a senior officer on the bridge at all times. <laughs> that's how emotionally together these people are. She's a crucial member of this crew. Well, and it's it's so it's an interesting idea that they that they kind of came at this with, which is. Like Kirk kind of just did it all, and, he, and at, most of the time, he, when he made a decision, he might like consult the doctor and Spock, mm-hmm. and they'll, you know, Kirk comes comes to his decisions over a glass of Saurian brandy in his quarters. But now, you know, you have Picard, and he has Riker, the military man. Although we're not really military, but sure, and we have, um, you know, a counselor, and we have like sort of this, we we have the same sort of compassionate versus. Um, more rational uh, mm-hmm. advice, but just in this different form. And the idea of a of a captain having the counselor who helps him, you know, especially when he's, you know, you're sending these captains out into deep space without contact back with the Federation, perhaps. It, it, it's, it's an it's idea. It's, an, it, it's reasonable to say, okay, we, we're going to have medical professionals on the ship, and maybe one of them is going to be have psychological training. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we have that on aircraft carriers today. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, having this person be a crucial senior officer on the bridge right. is not plausible. <laughs> No, uh, especially not in a society where everyone is supposedly emotionally perfect and super mature. Yes, which it turns out they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Also, they're not really, even though they talk about this, you know, and we mentioned the idea, which they do sell of we're on this extended mission. They go back to Earth all the stinking time, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like this is not a this is not a five year mission where they don't get to see home for years. They're they're back there all the time, mm-hmm. right? They're just they're in the neighborhood, uh, the, which is you know with the original series they didn't they didn't go back. They didn't have them. I mean, I, I think there was a, just a handful of times in the in the original series where they ever went back to Earth. And uh, and that was typically like they got thrown back there by time travel, right? So exactly. it's not yeah, even exactly. their Earth, right? Exactly. So yeah, the, the, it's um, yeah, it's very different. So another another character who's um, not part of the regular crew, but it's introduced. Uh, I forget what season that was now. Uh, season two. Season two. Is it as early as that? Guinan was in season two, where we no, have yeah Whoopi yeah. Goldberg, the comic actress at the time. Uh, who was pretty well known and was, you know, had some. Oh, yeah, she was very movies. well known at that time. Yeah. Uh, who's introduced as this mysterious bartender in this new recreation room, which is also you know, lounge. This, the, yes. This, the lounge. Where the characters can lounge about. Yes. The bar uh, called Ten Ford, uh, which means it's the very first front edge of the saucer. The first thing to run into anything in a collision course. On deck 10. On deck 10. And, and is and and is also seemingly a reference to 1970s CB slang where 104 means okay or yes. I guess maybe maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I'll go with it. But uh, so, but so she's this mysterious character who seems to be wise beyond her years. Oh, um, I know. She's such a walking cliche. And she has access to special knowledge and has some mysterious form a relationship with Picard and all of these things. And, and Hinting that they were lovers. At one point, there is a hint of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and where she kind of assumes some of what we were just talking about, this counselor role for mm-hmm. Picard, this is, you know, the, 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 the voice of wisdom that he can go to uh, or other people go to uh, on she- occasion. And it's just sort of an odd character. Uh, I just, mm-hmm. Introduced into this mix. Yeah, she's another one I can kind of tolerate, but I'm not a fan. Another another semi recurring character is Q, who is really annoying. And even though I like John Delancey, I'm not a big mm-hmm. fan of the Q episodes. Um, the best recurring character, to my mind, that they introduced is Lieutenant Barkley. Oh, yeah. He is like Rich. he is the ultimate flawed person that really needs a counselor and that suffers from holodeck addiction, which is but exactly a super, But he's a super happen. nerd. Yeah, he's a he's super a, nerd. Yeah. I mean, he's a super nerd, but like with holodecks, I mean, they, it's really hard to make interesting holodeck stories because yes. if it's doing its job, it's just a fantasy within a fantasy. Why do I want to watch a TV series about people reading a book? which right. is what yeah. holodex would be. Um, and and so you it, it, after the first time, after the first Dixon Hill adventure, 
you've got to do something else with the holodeck. And usually to introduce danger, it breaks in some way and oh, does yes. something it's not supposed to, at which point they should like prohibit the use of this technology until they get it perfected. Because <laughs> um, if you're going to have a character take over your starship. Yeah, I mean, you can just imagine every time if you if your Apple computer was endangering your life every time you used it, it would be recalled. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but what would happen if if we really had holodecks is people would use them to fulfill their fantasies, and you would have massive holodeck addiction, and yes. and that is, and we see that when they introduce. Reginald Barkley to us. It's a great character. It's a great concept. It's a great episode. And his subsequent returns are really entertaining, too. Yeah. I, th I think every time we see Barkley uh, in, in any... See, he was in also in Voyager, but I don't think he was in Deep Space Nine. But when we... Even in Voyager, like, he's still a great character. Yeah. Um, and, and he's in one of the movies, too. He's in First Contact. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, I'm trying to can't find him in the um Dwight Schultz. Memory Alpha. The Dwight Schultz, yeah. Yeah, who was um a guy on A Team, which I never watched. Oh what, Oh yeah, if you remember Howling Mad Murdoch. Murdoch, was, right, 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 right. Murdoch. That's what he was. Uh Dwight Schultz. Yeah, the Reg Barkley. He I'm trying to see if his first appearance um was in he was Hollow, in, was it Hollow Pursuits? Uh, let's see. Hollow Pursuits, yes, was his first yeah. um there. So it's um, yeah, and, and so, so that you you kind of covered like I was going to talk about the uh, the holodeck as a as a plot device. It was yeah, it was problematic and in, in especially early on and and always kind of stayed problematic. It just it just like the time travel episodes, you know, like how uh, Captain Janeway in Voyager always hates time travel because it gives her a headache. Same thing with the holodecks, mm -hmm. like you know whether it was. Uh, Fairhaven in Voyager, or oh, those were awful. Or yeah. some of the I mean, I liked. I, there, there's elements of those that I liked, but um, but the problems that it introduces, the the, the plot device problems, the you, you had to kind of um, overlook issues. You're like, um, there's an obvious solution to this, or you you or you have to introduce this this extreme difficulty. I mean, the the one yeah. I kind of uh, alluded to earlier was Data wanted to create a. Uh, a Sherlock Holmes a villain that he that would that could defeat him, and so the computer creates this um, Moriarty who can this, take over the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, literally. Like, it, it just didn't <clears throat> actually, make any sense. That that episode and its sequel, I actually can deal with. Um, but those are the only holodeck breaks down episodes that I can really deal with. Um, where the holodeck works is when you key in after the first one where we're just doing the concept is when you find something where it emotionally matters to the mm -hmm. characters. So hollow pursuits with holodeck addiction works. Right. Um, so does the, uh, the episode where Jordy LaForge is just using it as a simulator for engine design. And he calls right. up a holodeck of Le a hollow image of Leia Brahms and then right. falls in love with the image. Yes. Right. And and then gets confronted later in a later episode with the real Leia Brahms. And um, and so it had an emotional impact on the characters there. You have the same thing in um, in uh, Deep Space Nine in the episode in the pale moonlight where 
it's crucially important that they use the holodeck in a certain way to bring the Romulans into the war to save the Federation's butt. And it really matters emotionally to the characters. So when we have emotional, high emotional stakes, the holodeck can work. But when it's just, it's broken, so there's physical danger. Right. It's it. Sorry, it's I've seen, been there, done that, yeah. bought the T-shirt. <laughs> the holodeck safeties are broken again. Again. <laughs> like I just fixed those like last week. We've exactly. lost twenty-five crew members since then. Uh, yeah. So, um, so that's that's as much as I had. Was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about with uh, with regard to the next generation, Father uh, Father Corey? Did you have anything left on the on the next gen? No, it's just uh, it, it really, like you said, it really the this was the series that rejuvenized juvenized Star Trek, and really was kind of the, began the golden age, I would say, of the yeah. of the Star Trek ep, uh, series. Yeah, I would. I, I don't have anything else either, but I, I would say that this next gen is kind of the Patrick Troughton of Star Trek mm. um, for Doctor Who fans because William Hartnell was the first Doctor. It was kind of rough edged. They he ended up leaving the show. And if the second doctor, Patrick Troughton, had not been brilliant, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have led to the rest of the franchise. Exactly. And Next Gen plays that same role. It shows us, okay, we can accept a different set of characters within the Star Trek universe, and it can be good. And mm-hmm. just like Doctor Who fans could accept accept someone else in the role of the doctor. And that unlocked all of the rest of the Star Trek we've had since it proved we didn't have to have Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Yeah. It was the I, universe that was that that really people right. were in love with, uh, yeah. or, or could or could live in that they that they wanted. And you know, one, one thing I think it showed was the mistake that they made later with Enterprise and now with Discovery is they wanted to do the prequels. And no, next we're going to disagree there. I have no problem with prequels. Well, as they did it, let's just put it that way. Because the advantage of next gen, of course, is it is so far in advance, so far beyond uh, the original series that they can have that clean cut. But, you know, with prequels, right. they're still kind of trapped by what they've done before. Right. They can't change things too much uh, without c- creating uh Canon continuity problems, right? And um, and unless the, the you problem do the we have, timeline, and and, and <laughs> the issue of of having prequels is is in itself not a problem. Just Hollywood today, Hollywood writers today can't keep themselves within a canon. They just right. they they have some inability to do so. It seems like they always right. seem to want to tweak the canon just a little bit. And, and some of that I'm willing to give them, like when they first introduced the bony ridgehead Klingons. That was a tweak to the canon, but it was fine. Yeah. But I think we yeah. can probably save our, our our discussion of prequels for another podcast exactly. since that's not our subject today. Yes, yeah, we'll be exactly. we'll be talking about Enterprise uh in a few weeks uh as we continue along. So um let you know so what do you, the audience, think of the next generation? Is was this your Star Trek? Um was this the first series you watched uh that was the, the you know, as it aired? Um, or, uh, you know, because I've met fans who've actually said that this to them is more Star Trek than original series is, which is an interesting perspective. Um, what do you think of what we had to say about uh, anything we talked about today on about the next generation? So um, let us know by going to sqpn.com slash Trek or to the SQPN Facebook page 
and find the the link to today's show and you know leave a comment there um and we can maybe read it in a future podcast and discuss it or we have a discussion right there on the page it'll be either one would be would be great um or you can send us email to trek at sqpn.com and you can send a written email or you could record a voice memo and and send that as an attachment we'd love we'd love to hear your voices um, if you could, we, we ask you, um, as we get this show rebooted, restarted, we've mentioned this a few times, if you could go to um, iTunes and write a review and, you know, a five-star review would be great. It helps us get noticed. Um, if you could like the show, if you could like the episodes on Facebook, retweet them on Twitter. If you can share them with people, let other people know about it. Hey, this is podcast. I think you'd enjoy it. You know, it, that that helps us reach bigger audiences um, and helps us continue to do what we do. And so, because uh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're here, we're doing this not just for our own health, but to really kind of share this with folks. And there's a lot of Star Trek podcasts up, out there. We think ours is unique and we, we think other people will like it. So if you can uh, let people know, uh, you can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Deep Space Nine, Ooh. which is a, uh, I think uh, it's consensus here. That's our favorite of both Star Trek yeah. series. Yep. Okay, that's, so we all agree. Uh, so uh, until after then, after it grows the beard. After it grows the beard. That's right. <laughs> uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. I'm well, glad to be here. Sharing the secrets Thanks, of Star Trek. No. <laughs> 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 and Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Live long and prosper, Don. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, make it so.